Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. It's late Saturday night. We are at 12.17 a.m. on the East Coast. My uh, my compadre's right there. It's Tom Fernelli. It's Barton Simmons. It is 11.17, so you're almost to Sunday. Congratulations. USC is still in action, and we've still got Boise State and BYU, but a lot of the big games are in the books. Uh, the, the World Series matchup is set. That's our breaking news for the moment. Gentlemen, week eight, how are we feeling so far? I can't wait to spend the next hour breaking down the Astros Nationals World Series. Woo-hoo! This was an awesome day. Yeah. This was an action-packed day. Well-paced. We, we got a lot to unpack here. I, do we, I think that we got to start, Tom, right? Does the Tom Fernelli search committee have to shutter its doors after Lovey Smith on a homecoming weekend as a 30-point underdog takes down the Wisconsin Badgers, handing this Wisconsin team a playoff, potentially playoff contending Badgers team its first loss of the season. Uh, is this, I mean, it, t- take me through what's going on behind the, in the boardroom of the Tom Fernelli search committee. Jeff Munkin, Willie Fritz, like, are, are, is that the reason? They just know the Illinois job's not going to be open anymore. Might as well wait for another season. Listen, Chip, first of all, the Tom Fernelli search committee never, never started searching for anybody. We haven't contacted anybody. We're very happy with Lovey Smith as our head coach, and we plan for Lovey to be here for a long time. Now, of course, as the acting athletic director of the Tom Fernelli search fund, it is my job to, you know, keep a list of names around just in case worse comes to worse, or hopefully Lovey decides to retire after a very long and successful career at Illinois that goes for at least another decade, Chip. So (laughs) what a funny question you're asking. So, so are you, are are you legit like kind of feeling Lovey now again? No. Okay. I'm thrilled. They won. Listen, just putting, putting, you know, like our, job aside and all the objectivity as somebody who cares about Illinois football I am very happy for the players on that team that have been there for four or five years and some of the guys that have been there for three years who have been through a whole lot of losing but have believed the entire time since they came and they committed to Lovey and they came to Illinois that they would have this moment and they had it so I am thrilled for them that aside, going back to the analytical part of this, if there is a team that Lovey Smith 
is prepared to beat. It is a Wisconsin team that runs a very, you know, pro-style, old-school three yards and a cloud of dust. That's what Lovey Smith's defense was always built to stop in the NFL. And it's what it's had problems adjusting to on the college level when it runs into spread offenses that are faster and more talented. It doesn't always have an answer to it. Wisconsin plays more of a straight-ahead, right-at-you style that fits into what his defense is. And Illinois was able to slow it down. And offensively, they didn't have a great game, but they took advantage of Wisconsin's mistakes, which is another hallmark of Lovey's team is when they win, is they force turnovers, they take advantage of it. Force three Wisconsin turnovers, got 17 points out of them. In a 24-23 to final, 17 points are kind of important. So this is a huge win. It's the first time Illinois has beaten a ranked team since it upset number one Ohio State in 2007. That's the year Ron Zook went to the Rose Bowl. So it's been a long time. That said, this does not, to me, mean that Illinois is suddenly going to win like its next three or four games and end up going to a bowl. Maybe that, maybe there's a higher likelihood of that happening, but I still think this is a team that's going to find itself having trouble next week against Purdue. So I am enjoying it. I'm very happy to see it. I'm thrilled for the players. My overall opinion hasn't changed much. But it does mean that Wisconsin has screwed this up pretty bad because I believe that Wisconsin in many other games this season will show some of that form that had us speaking so highly of the Badgers. And I believe that if you play this game, you know, 10 times, then most of them will not go this way. But in in college football, the way that we play this game, you are required to maintain uh, a certain standard and a certain level of play if you want to be able to compete for championships. And Wisconsin screwed this up. They'll still get a shot at the Big Ten championship. They still get to play Minnesota and the rest of the Big Ten West contenders in a way where they could make their way back to Indianapolis. But I guess to, to spin it back towards Wisconsin, like – like Barton, do you do you look at Wisconsin's performance in this game and think they had it coming, they blew it with a bad day, or was there anything from this game that has you changing your outlook on the Badgers moving forward? Oh no, th- yeah, this is this absolutely. I I think like it blows up my opportunity to make a lot of money fading Wisconsin next week. Yeah, against Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, because I I do think that this is. And look, I'm I'm not going to act like I'm the smartest guy in the room and that I was, you know, screaming from the mountaintops about this before this game, but this result casts a whole different shadow on the previous results when you look at okay, let um, yeah, maybe we should have taken this all with a little more of a grain of salt. USF, Central Michigan, Michigan, Northwestern, Kent State, Michigan State. Not a one offense with a pulse. Michigan's starting to just get a little bit of of, of uh, oxygen. Oh, and, buddy, that, that was offense. just since halftime. Yeah, exactly. Like, we got a half into Michigan <laughs> yeah. playing decent the offense. And, and so I, I'm, I can't say that I'm surprised – like that I'm not surprised that Illinois is the one to knock – Wisconsin off that that is surprising in fact I I didn't watch much of this game at all because the whole game you know it's like 20 to 7 or something and like there's other good games on and I'm just assuming just a ho-hum boring Wisconsin game and they'll pull it out eventually and then you all of a sudden you look up and Illinois is driving to kick a game-winning field goal but no I think this this absolutely changes the way I look at Wisconsin I don't think that this was just a a fluky loss 
I think this is uh, a team who had its flaws exposed, and they're going to have their hands full uh, in Columbus next weekend. Mm. Tom, are you there too with the Badgers? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm with Barton. I was we we talked about it on here before. We were we were very much of the opinion that this Wisconsin team was good, but it probably didn't have enough to hang with Ohio State because based on you know just what we saw from when it played Northwestern a few weeks ago and from today, it's like even if Wisconsin had won this game and it was just we're writing it off as well, they just got caught looking ahead to Ohio State. We can't take too much out of it, even if that had been the case. Both Northwestern and Illinois have showed you at that point the recipe to slow down this Wisconsin offense. And Ohio State certainly has the defensive personnel to slow down this Wisconsin offense. So if Northwestern can do it, if Illinois can do it, I have no doubt in my mind Ohio State's going to be able to do it next week at Ohio Stadium. So I think the bigger story here is that this really makes it more difficult for Wisconsin to win the West because they're probably going to lose next week, which means they're going to have two losses. And Minnesota killed Rutgers today. They're probably going to win their next week. So we're looking at a situation where a few weeks from now, Wisconsin's got two losses in Big Ten play. Minnesota's got none, and there's only like three weeks left to go. Of course, they do play each other, but now Wisconsin no longer has the control of its own destiny as far as you know beating Minnesota to win the division. Okay. Um I, I want to come back to Minnesota before we, but but we'll do that later uh, in a a little segment. I want to get y'all's thoughts on uh, on on some of these remaining teams in terms of trying to identify where their first loss of the season might likely come. But uh, I also don't want to bypass any of any of our headliners that we have here. And Minnesota, I love. I, Gophers, you've uh, you've proven me wrong. You've you've bitten me in the butt with your two buck teeth, but you're going to be later <laughs> in the podcast. You're not exactly a headliner. We've got Tua Tagovailoa going down with an injury in the Alabama's win against Tennessee. This was a game later in the evening. It was one where, as we were sort of winding down the closing moments of Penn State, Michigan, uh, you know, he goes down and he's out of the stadium. He's in an ambulance, but now he's back. One way or another, we've got an Alabama team that's going to have a little bit of concern, at least with the uh, the quarterback position. So I guess uh, as as we look at Alabama, the number one team in the country, Barton is is your is your up and down right now with Alabama? Are you all over the place in terms of your concern in moving forward? Big, I'm got I've got big concern, mm. big big level of concern. Uh, I I mean this just the the tea leaves do not seem to indicate that this is just a turned ankle. He'll be fine uh, after he gets some stem treatment on Sunday. Like the it ju- this 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 feels as we sit here tonight and there's been no announcement. Sit, hey, look, they just shook hands at the middle of the field. Saban may speak to this in his presser. Maybe we'll have an answer to you here shortly, but. This does. This feels like two is going to be out for a while, and if two is out for, let's say, the season, then uh, I'm I'm canceling my Alabama national championship plans. And if two is out for just a couple of weeks, then I am emboldened in my LSU suspicions. So either way, like Mac Jones, it, it ain't the same team. It's just not. With uh, with the backup quarterback in, and and this has been a team that's been 
all about his offense. And we saw it tonight. I mean, we saw an Alabama team without Tua and Tennessee was, I know that the final score got lopsided, but Tennessee was driving to make it a one score game in the fourth quarter. And, and then a whole deal happened that we could talk about after the Tua conversation. But, uh, no nah, man, I'm I'm I've I think that this is an Alabama team that suddenly got uh, some serious question marks. Yeah, it it's hard not to be worried. I mean, it it depends on the severity of the injury. If if it's a couple week thing, cause, you know, they've got Arkansas next week, then they have the bye before they have to play LSU. So if they have to play Arkansas next week without Tua, I'm not worried about them beating Arkansas without him. But if he comes back for that LSU game and he's not 100% or if he's out entirely, then that's suddenly a very different game. And it's hard to imagine that Alabama is going to take down LSU with, you know, Mac Jones going up head to head against Joe Burrow. So I think this is a huge story to watch and it's going to have a major impact on how the rest of this season is going to go. Because when we did our uh, midseason picks earlier this week on CBSSports.com, I picked LSU to, you know, win the West, win the SEC and then get to the playoff. And I left Alabama out. But it wasn't because of a two injury, so it's 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 going to have a major impact on the way things turn out here. So here's what I'm ready for. So I, I've I've ruled two out for the LSU game in my head. I think it's like nope, that's just not going to happen. But if he's out for the LSU game, but then he gets back, can't you just imagine Nick Saban sitting on college game day set on yes. conference championship Saturday? talking about how two is healthy now and he missed the game, the one game that we lost. And you've seen us when he's in the lineup. You've seen what we look like with Tua. And so our debate for the final spot in the college football playoff is going to be someone. And I don't know whether that's going to be a Clemson, an Oklahoma, an Ohio State, uh, you know, an, a, a Penn State. Who knows? But it'll be someone Maybe it's Oregon, and we'll talk about the Ducks here shortly soon, I'm sure. Uh, but it will be Alabama making its case that it didn't have Tua against LSU when, Tom, like you, I picked LSU to win that game feeling like Tua was full strength. So the the way that I'm feeling right now in the immediate aftermath of this game, knowing no details about the severity of the injury, if it's October 20th and there's a potential that he could be out for a couple weeks – I feel like Alabama would keep him out for a couple weeks. So then the challenge becomes, you know, is he going to be able to get good, get right in time for the Iron Bowl at the end of the season? And uh, and is Alabama going to be able to continue to win to make sure that the only loss would be that LSU game? That is just my uh, very reckless Saturday night looking into the crystal ball, but it feels a lot like we've got a situation where I believe LSU would have beaten Alabama full strength that Alabama could lose that game without Tua, but then be making its playoff argument that it is because Tua was not in the lineup. Well, if, if you want to get reckless, let's let's get reckless. Okay. At what point, and again, we don't know the severity of the injury yet, but even if it's like a sprained ankle and he's you know going to be out a couple weeks or if it's something worse, with the draft coming up next spring, because Tua ain't going to be back next year, at what point does he get hit with the injury-prone label? Because he's been banged up damn near the entirety of his college career. Well, it's, I mean, that, that's the entire kryptonite of Alabama over the last two years is just to his health. Yeah. As long as to his healthy, you ain't beating Bama. 
But if Tua's banged up, if he's gimpy, he's then uh, then yeah, you got a shot. Um, hey Barton, do you remember how many CBS Sports HQ hits we did from Miami about whether how Tua was? Yeah, <laughs> it was like for like five check-ins a day. Uh, the it was like so. What's the latest on Tua? I don't know. Still man. alive. <laughs> still, still, still talking to us. So that's good. Uh, yeah. So Bruce Feldman tweeted. Saban told ESPN in postgame that Tua Tungavailoa has a high ankle sprain, probably will be out for a week or two. So roll it back from last year. Basically the same deal as last year. He's going to miss – I don't he, – he never missed – he never missed a game last year, I guess, though, right? No. He just played hobbled. So he'll miss a couple weeks and then it's back – because high ankle sprain is – He left the Missouri game, right? And yeah. then uh, – played but then didn't play great against Auburn later Mississippi State was the game that really exposed him last year with the injury and I think kind of maybe re uh, exasperated it yeah high, high ankle sprain ain't like a two-week injury though high ankle sprain's a lingering injury yeah so I mean we're no matter what I think it's safe to say he's gonna miss the Arkansas game hmm <clears throat> what about LSU What's our what's our bet right now? I'm saying not playing. I say he plays at eighty percent. If it's really a high ankle sprain, uh, then he's he'll he'll find a way to get on the field because because they they are not beating LSU with Mac well, Jones. And you know the way to get on the field. It's very long and pointy, <laughs> and it hurts. <laughs> uh, but we got a lot of time to talk about Tua's injury. Yeah. So what? So what else we got? We got a lot more to, to dig into. Well, what 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 are you antsy about? You want to go to, straight to Penn State, Michigan? Well, first of all, uh, before we leave, leave Tennessee game, uh, there was an interesting exchange. Let's just talk about first of all, two injury or not. I think that was a valiant effort from Tennessee, uh, and the story now is going to be. Jeremy Pruitt chewing out Jared Guarantano on the sideline after Jared Guarantano fumbles into the end zone and Bama scoop and scores at 100 yards to break the game open. So, uh, you know, it wasn't a good look. Um, and he grabbed his face mask and he ripped into him. And all, all that was, you know, Pruitt's going to catch some heat this week for that. That said... I, I I'm I'm ready to let it slide. I think I think that was a really, really frustrated coach, who has been battling to try to figure out a way to win a football game, and his quarterbacks haven't been helping him all year long. And then they're going in, in about to cut the lead to one score, and if they don't get the score, then they got a Mac Jones-led offense on the one yard line, and they might just get a safety or a defensive touchdown. And instead of punching it in, Jarek Warantano tries to go over the top on a QB sneak, fumble, scoop and score, ball game. And Pruitt was livid. Yeah. And uh, so that's something. But um, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy that gets upset about it. I'm just sort of getting in front of the uh, – all the people that are going to be because that's go, that's going to be a popular. There will be overreactions. Yeah, that's going to be a popular take. I'm and th- those 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 out, those out 
uh, there was the the Jimbo Fisher grabbed the face mask, and I, you know, they're they are as college football players on the wrong end or on the lesser end of one of the most unique power dynamics in all of college sports as a college football player. And when college football coaches sometimes overstep uh, that line and maybe abuse that power dynamic, it is uncomfortable for sure. But I have also been a little bit desensitized to the point where I am going to find myself among the overreactions when a college football coach loses their mind. Yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't that long ago where a coach doing that was not an extraordinary sight. It was just kind of something that happened. College coaches, not just college coaches, but football coaches, basketball coaches, baseball coaches, they just yelled at you and you screwed up. And whether it was Little League or college or high school or in the pros. But there's been such a sea change in the way that we view that whole situation where there is there's going to be a huge overreaction to it. And I don't really have a problem with this isolated incident. He was he was pissed off at his player. He was angry. His team pretty much blew a chance to peel off a major upset on the road in this one. And he was screaming at his QB as he's coming off. And he was, you know, putting his finger in his face. And then when Grantano kind of looked away. I wouldn't even say he grabbed his face mask as much as he took his index finger, hooked his face mask, and pulled his face back to making eye contact with him, and then con- you know continued to chew him out. My problem with Pruitt is that this isn't just an isolated incident. This seems to be kind of a theme with Pruitt, where it's you know he's always angry and kind of apoplectic on the sideline. Then there was a thing a few weeks ago from I can't remember the player's name, but the kid who got arrested with the warrant, and they've got Pruitt on tape trying to talk to the cops about why'd you have to arrest him? And the cops like, well, that's what we do when a person has a warrant out for their arrest. We arrest them. And then Pruitt, you know, kind of mockingly was like, well, go and do your civic duty then. It's like, it's. I get the sense from Pruitt that Winning is more important to him than anything, but he's more in the vein of using the players as a vehicle to get that win than to win for his players. And I'll just leave it there. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe. But I mean, look, at the end of that game, you know what I noticed was a bunch of Alabama dudes coming up and, and giving him a hug. Like, I think the guys that buy into Pruitt style – the guys that are Pruitt's kind of guys love them. And the guys that aren't, you know, doesn't work. But and 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 I think the guys that, that buy into to Pruitt probably don't mind getting their face mask grabbed and don't mind getting, you know, getting somebody up in their grill. Yeah, so, no, I never minded that. Yeah. In any in any sport growing up. I didn't mind getting yelled at by a coach, especially if I screwed up. <laughs> if I screwed up, I probably deserved it. Mm. All right. Well, uh, well, let's turn our attention then to the whiteout in Happy Valley. Penn State's offense gets off to a, a really fast start against Michigan. They establish some leverage early. Their defense is good. But then, as we hinted at earlier, Michigan's offense and I thought that uh, you know our own listeners did a good job of pointing to this, but the notion that it might take within a dramatic scheme change 
potentially up to half a season to start seeing results. We start to see Michigan's offense really uh, flip the switch after halftime. The best that Michigan's offense has looked all year. Penn State was reeling a little bit. Michigan falls short in trying to get the comeback done. Penn State wins this game 28-21. So, uh, Barton, we talk about Penn State as a team that is leaving that uh, bottom like B tier and trying to enter the A tier with Ohio State, with Oklahoma, with Clemson, with Alabama, with LSU. Do you feel like in this game you saw something that would make you want to put Penn State right there? No, no, that's a B tier game. Mm. And B day, look, B tier is a great tier. Not many people in the B tier. B tier is a good place to be. B tier is a great program. B tier has got Penn State. Uh, six. Let's see, sixth in the country in my rankings, but that, but it's not a tier, right? It's it's very different than a tier, and um, so I mean, good on Penn State for getting the win. Um, it's still that, that it's still very much a team that is just uh, not much, not much, not much, not much. KJ Hamler for sixty, yes, not much, yes. not much, not much, not much. Not much. KJ Hamler for fifty, and so it, I mean, when when that's sort of your offense, it's it's hard to it's hard to, to talk about you in the same breath as Oklahoma and LSU and Ohio State um, and Alabama and Clemson, um, frankly. But I, I still like this Penn State team. I still think they're capable of beating anybody. I think Penn, the Penn State Ohio State game is going to be fun. Uh, but uh, you know what? This is this. That that's, um, you know, I mean, they got up twenty one nothing, and I think like there was never, uh, you never felt like Penn State was going to be able to 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 pull away because the, that that twenty one nothing was just a couple big plays here and there, and and it wasn't su- sustained success, and because of that, Michigan hung around and uh, got a couple drives, and you know, really really should have took it to overtime. Yeah, and and that's been a theme for Penn State all season long. I was gonna I was gonna make the joke when Chip called it, you know, the Penn State offense. I was gonna see you actually you mislabeled it. It's called KJ Hamler because yeah. <laughs> I mean here here's some fun stats because I I had to live blog this game and I wrote about it. Penn State had 80 yards of offense and seven points in the second half. 80 yards of offense, seven points. 53 of those yards came on that one touchdown to KJ Hamler. <laughs> so all the hundred percent of their points and about 68% of their offensive yards were courtesy of KJ Hamler in the second half. And if you look his two touchdowns of 53 yards and his 25 yard touchdown accounted for 27.6% of Penn state's total offense on the night. When Sean or yeah, when Sean Clifford targeted Hamler, he was six of seven for 108 yards and two touchdowns. When Clifford targeted any other receiver, he was 8 of 18 for 74 yards and one touchdown. They need somebody else on that offense to emerge as a reliable go-to weapon because that's that's the reason they haven't had any consistency because unless Hamler's making the play, it feels like nobody else in that offense is capable of making the play. They do. They do need someone else, and it seems like they should have someone else there. I mean, they have enough talent. Those guys are – they're loaded, but – I'll give them this. At least they acknowledge how special KJ Hamler right. is, and they find mm-hmm. a lot of unique. This is a little Rondell Morris for Purdue. Like they'll at least really scheme 
to put him in matchups. Like that was awesome. Like the basically the game winning first down for them was like KJ Hamler running that little motion into the backfield mm-hmm. and then the, the sort of mini jet sweep. Um, like that's. No, I mean, cap, that's you know? that's Penn State style. I mean, yeah. We, yeah. we've been there. Wasn't that the wheel route to Saquon Barkley? Like, yeah, let's go empty set and just put him out there, give him the ball, and, and let him go make plays? And on, on the 53-yard touchdown, they got him in the slot on a safety who had absolutely no prayer of staying with him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He ran that little corner route, right? He was, mm-hmm. yeah, he he just, was the third was like wide receiver in. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a deep post, and Metellus was just, you know, huffing and puffing like 10 yards behind him yeah. trying to keep up. He had no prayer. So, they, yeah, they need to use him, obviously. He's the best player you have. You get your best player the ball. It's just when you run into a defense that could probably figure out a way to minimize him as much as possible, like, say, oh, I don't know, Ohio State, you need somebody else who's going to be able to step up and make plays and move the chains and put to help you put together drives because right now they're way too boomer bust on offense to really consider them a major threat to Ohio State. So, so I, oh, go ahead, Barton. Well, I was just going to say uh, before I don't know if you were going to take us to another game or not. But, no, I was going to take uh, us to Michigan. Okay, yeah. So take us there. Well, yeah. All right, so I don't want to sit in the moral victory hot tub for too long. I think that for Michigan to fought to capitalize on this moment in their season a a season that has had a lot of criticism it basically turns next week against Notre Dame in Ann Arbor I'm not going to throw that uh, cliche must win but it takes that game to another level in terms of importance in the the way that this season is viewed the there are a couple different ways that this season can go for the Michigan Wolverines and I think that if they are able to continue what was shown in the second half against Penn State offensively against Notre Dame at home they can win that game and if you win that game then it totally changes uh, the way that this season feels at the end of the November and the way that this season looks at the end of the season when we review it. Well now let's be clear. By losing tonight Harbaugh is now 1-10 against top 10 teams at Michigan. If they beat Notre Dame next week, it won't be that they beat Notre Dame. It'll be, well, Notre Dame wasn't that good to begin with. Harbaugh and Michigan still suck. <laughs> no, but let's... but I like, like within the context of trying to figure out this Michigan team, I think that you are going to be able to sell yourself that this close loss and this second half effort was meaningful if yes, it's no, continued. I yeah, I was just being a smartass. No, I mean, you know, you know what I would call this performance from Shea Patterson tonight, Chip? What? Dickensian. <laughs> tale of two. Tale, oh, yeah, because Dick- <laughs> dude, he was rattled in the first half. He looked awful. I don't. It was. It's probably a combination of a very loud and excited crowd and a Penn State pass rush that was just getting a ton of pressure on it. But he looked like the last place in the world he wanted to be was in that pocket. I thought it was going to be a boat race just because I didn't think Michigan was going to be able to do anything. Then he settled down towards the end of the half. They got that touchdown drive, and he played really well in the second half. You know, His overall stat line isn't going to look good, but it's, it's like I wrote after the game. At the end of the game, Michigan needed Shea Patterson to lead them on a game-tying touchdown drive. Patterson did it. He made a lot of key plays. He extended drives. He moved around in the pocket, whereas earlier in the game, he just kind of took off to nowhere and got tackled. He stayed in the pocket, moved his feet, kept his eyes down the field, found open receivers, moved them down the field, got him to that first and goal, got him to a fourth and goal where he found Ronnie Bell open in the end zone, hit him right in the chest, and Bell, bless his heart, didn't catch the pass. 
Michigan loses. But Patterson probably that second half is probably the most impressed I've been by Shea Patterson at Michigan since he came to Michigan. Can I make uh, so I want to say this about Shea Patterson? One thing about Shea Patterson, and, I, and he gets a lot of hate, and he's you know he's got a he's out, his family's outspoken, and he's uh, a lightning rod kid because he transferred, and he was part of the Hugh Freeze era, and 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 look, I, I'm not some of it maybe he deserves, but I I really think that Shea has been someone like when you, when he talks to the media. He's he he's he's never pointing fingers. He's never like he always presents himself well. He I think his body language is always good when he's playing. Like he is someone that is, you know, he's he's taken some lumps, but he's also battled. And I thought he battled tonight. And and I, I thought that look, he's not a perfect quarterback, but he's I've been impressed with the way he keeps on kind of chopping wood, for lack of a better phrase, and. And I'll also say this, and I don't want now. Now I'm pointing fingers, but the there was so much, even during the game, like Dame Dame Brugler, the the athletic um, NFL draft guy, was saying how like every all these NFL scouts think that this Michigan wide receiver group is one of the best in the country, um, and yada yada yada, and they they haven't been using them effectively. Like, where did this narrative come from? Just because I ranked them high coming out of high school, I guess? Because they, they got to prove it in college, too. At no point, like, Donovan Peoples-Jones runs fast. He's big. But what at what point has Donovan Peoples-Jones presented himself as, like, some scary, dangerous receiver that, uh, that, that's worried, that keeps you up at night? Like, when is when, – Ronnie Bell, look, and, and I feel for the kid. I, I, that was brutal to watch him cry on the sidelines after that. But he he's drops a lot of passes. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of receivers that are, haven't done their part either. So this look, just all that to say, like Michigan seems like they're starting to get traction a little bit offensively. That was a positive second half. It's not perfect. The expectations were out of hand this season to begin with, but at least there there is some evolution that we're witnessing. And it takes everybody. It's not just on the quarterback. It's not just on the coordinator. It takes everybody. Mm. I mean, I'm. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm not going to disagree with you that that discussion of the Michigan wide receivers, you know, Donovan Peoples Jones and the like, kind of. They, it just it reminds me of the just the simple. Not all four stars are made alike. Not all five stars are made alike. You you still have to be able to go and and convert it. Like that's uh, the in in football, talent over everything is something that's true, but doesn't necessarily uh, always add up. So I I understand your frustration, and I understand why you would take ownership over that. I've thought that the uh, the fact that somebody impresses you when you show up to you know just like one or two games a year and you see him on the field during warmups and you're like, wow, they're really good. It's like, well, that's the entire Georgia football experience. So, you know, yeah. you can't expect that that's going to lead to championships. I, I, yeah. To me, this like Michigan, once again, if, if, if the expectation for this year's team was nine and three or eight and four, then everyone would be looking at this, be like, um, man, they got, they got a chance to have a pretty good year. 
But no, the expectation was 11 and one or playoffs. And because of that, this is all a mess. And it really shouldn't be. The expectations were out of whack to begin with, and now let's just settle in on what Michigan is. They're, 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 they're getting better. They got a chance. Coming up on the other side, we will take a look at the biggest matchup maybe of the year in the Pac-12, plus checking in on Clemson, Oklahoma, LSU, and the rest of the title contenders next. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Hey, did you guys uh, hear uh, Jalen Hurts' TED Talk today? Oh, uh, no. We got, an- we got another one? <laughs> uh, Jalen took the microphone in a black turtleneck with a blazer over top. Guy looked like he was pitching his Silicon Valley startup with uh, in front of a touch screen. And uh, let, me, let me play a little audio for you. I mean, it's like a mix of like Kyrie Irving and Ted Talk and a lot of other stuff and all of the sabinization that he's taken. Do you feel like you have a better idea of what this team is capable of, maybe what the ceiling is for this for this team or this offense maybe? We don't know what the ceiling is. No one knows. Um, <laughs> how we get to, to our peak um, is going out there every day and practicing hard. I say it again, having the right intent. Um, the approach to what we do, being eager, um, essentially starving for an opportunity to play. Um, we just got to have that 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 factor about us. You know, we, we have to have that in us. We have to be hungry for every opportunity we have and, and go out there and take advantage of those opportunities. Ten receivers caught. Ceiling? Who knows what the ceiling is? The ceiling if, is in the stars, y'all. If I can quote. <laughs> The great philosopher Michael Jordan. Ceiling is the roof. Dude. Oh man. I I actually did not get much of Oklahoma, West Virginia. And so as just sort of like a mid game day check in Oklahoma, I watched all of uh Lincoln's press conference. I watched all of Jalen's press conference. And the thing that stood out in addition to Jalen Hurts wearing a black turtleneck with a black suit jacket over top and just holding court, just dropping uh, all kinds of, of word salad and theoretical and, and nonsensical responses to silly questions that were all based on the idea of, hey, can you talk about how good you are? Uh, <laughs> Lincoln, Lincoln really, really likes 
his team right now. He think he called them selfless. He said they're all rooting for each other. He said that uh, in this game in particular, you had the defense and the special teams showing up. It wasn't just the offense getting it done. And the only place where he's stopping short of being over the top, overflowing positive is with a very fair level-headed uh, and even-keeled analysis of Jalen Hurts himself. And that has me coming out of this week at a time where the, the Red River demanded so much of our attention and it's such an emotional spot. You come off of that, and I just I just wanted to check in on our Oklahoma Sooners here on this Saturday. And I got to say, I'm coming out of it. I'm like, wow, I don't know. that It looks like everything seems to be going in an all right position. You got like four different running backs. You don't know which one's going to be the one to deliver. Jalen Hurts is good in the rushing game. You know, CeeDee Lamb explodes in the Red River game, but then you you also have other Morris and others that are stepping up. So I, I'm i going to say, I, I, not just because of the, the West Virginia win, in particular what I saw in the field, but at least what I heard from uh, the Sooners afterwards has uh, encouraged me when I think about where Oklahoma stands in that it almost seems Clemson-esque compared to the rest of the Big 12. It is October 20th where you are, Chip, as we record this. It's still October 19th in the land of Tom and Barton. I am saying it now. Oklahoma's in the playoff. Yeah. Boom. Just write it in ink. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that. Who's beating them? I mean, Iowa State and Baylor both looking pretty good right now. Yeah. Texas was looking pretty good, too. Well, no, I mean, Texas is a different animal because Texas is like the the injuries on defense. And I mean, they, they really haven't been playing great defense from the jump. And look, I'm not I'm not saying that. Well, I don't know where the loss is going to come. I still think a loss comes for Oklahoma. I don't. I, I think a loss comes for Oklahoma in either the semifinal or the final. I don't think it's coming before them. Yeah, I think they're 13 and 0 on selection Sunday. Mm-hmm. Hey, I hope so. That'd be fun. Um, I do. Th- I do think that Baylor had an awesome win, and that wasn't just being on uh, the other side. On what was I two and eight this week in the locks? I wasn't going to bring it up, but yes, yeah, blood everywhere for uh, for your boy today. But I mean, our my my number one calling in life is not necessarily to get them right, but it's still to deliver this great analysis for y'all. So I'm here. I haven't. I haven't just wandered off into the wilderness. I will be back. We will continue to fight. So I I look at Baylor, and it was when that game was hanging in the balance and they get the strip sack of Spencer Sanders. Like That was, that was kind of when the conversation turned a little bit for me. We're like, oh, okay. So w- when you're able to go on the road, when you're able to, to come off of the, the Texas Tech game, which took multiple overtimes to settle – and you're able to be in a, a real fist fight of a game against Mike Gundy's Cowboys and T Boone Pickens Stadium, and you're able to go and win that game, like that's all right, okay, Baylor. I'm I was reluctant to jump on board and and now here I am. So uh Barton, I know you're both of you guys were on Baylor before I was, and so I would say, Will you welcome me in as a Baylor believer? Chip, welcome to my beloved Baylor Bear bandwagon. Thank you. Yeah, Chip. I, I, I'm. I Baylor is a friend of mine, but they're not. A, they're not a family member like my Beavers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. 
All right. Do you, do we, I mean, do you want to talk about, uh, Oh yeah. We're talking about the beavers. Um, is that wind totals just cashing? Uh, yeah. Double cash day, money line sprinkle two and O on the money line sprinkle up 525 bucks there. And win total cashed Oregon state over two. uh, man, it feels good beating cow. Oregon State on the come up, northern northern uh, Pacific Northwest, I should say, is uh, is they're they're slowly taking over some market share of the Pacific Northwest up there. Here we're I, gonna we're gonna talk about Oregon Washington quickly. But do you know who's in second place in the Pac-12 North right now? Oregon State, two and two, second place in the division. <laughs> Ew. What? Ew. It just ooh ew, ew that two and two is second place in the division, right? Oh yeah. Or Oregon wrapped that thing up today. <laughs> it's over. Done. And they still have road because that's the thing is they've still got road trips to Arizona State and USC, but both of those games are against Pac twelve South teams. So that even if they were to take one or two losses in conference play, they likely still have the head to head advantage against anyone else. Mm-hmm. Jeez. I mean, yeah, because Washington is effectively four games behind them now. Right. What'd y'all make of that game? Uh, Well, first of all, I think that I'd like to double down on my my dubious Justin Herbert opinion. Like, another big-time showcase game where... Hey, look, Oregon won, but they didn't. I wouldn't say they won because of Justin Herbert. I think they won because of their offensive line and the ground game. And I, I, th- I thought Jacob Beeson outplayed Justin Herbert. Uh, I thought Justin Herbert was fine. He was a good. He, 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 I, I'm not going to say that. I think he was, he was good. Justin Herbert was good. But did, did was there any point in that game he looked like a first round draft pick, a quarterback? Am I crazy? I don't know. I'm bad at that. I can tell you that he did not look like the best quarterback on the field, and I can tell you that when I start ranking the quarterbacks in college football, I have to get to a second hand before I, I quickly fill up one hand, a top five, before I think about Justin Herbert's name. I yeah, I, I don't have him in my top five, no. But I, I thought he played well, man. I, I think you're kind of underselling it. I, I thought he he did a very good job. I mean, I had... Washington, what? They had, what, a 28-14 lead in this game? And then, you know, Oregon came back to win 35-31, outscored him 21-3 from that point on. And I thought Herbert was a big reason for it. I thought he was making good throws. I thought he was making smart throws. And one of my major complaints about him was I've always felt like you can confuse him before the snap. Like, if his first read's not there, he's like a lot of college quarterbacks, where if the first read's not there... He sometimes really struggles when he has to find that second or third read. And I thought in the first half of this game, Washington was doing a very good job of confusing him, taking away what he wanted to do and forcing him to adjust, and he wasn't playing great. But I thought he adjusted in the second half, whether it was the coaches, the scheme thing, or he just got figured something out and he realized what Washington was doing. I thought he looked a lot crisper. I don't think he was brilliant, but I thought he looked a lot better than he did in that first half. And he made the plays Oregon needed him to make to come back and win that game. And that is a huge win, man. And 
No, I don't think he's one of the five best quarterbacks in the country. I think he's going to get drafted in the NFL at some point next, you know, this spring. And I think he's going to get a shot and maybe he eventually becomes an NFL starter. But for what he is right now, the starting quarterback at Oregon, he's good enough for them to win the Pac-12. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I don't. You're right. I I, I don't want to uh, uh, overstate this or understate. I guess this. Like I I, I yeah, uh, he is a good quarterback, and he was a good quarterback against Washington. Um, I just thought that if there's a first round draft pick quarterback in that game, I thought Jacob Eason was clearly the one. But um, but sure, yeah, he played good. I just but he also missed plenty of throws of like open receivers. And yeah. he also still looks like a sort of a, I don't know, I don't want to turn this into a Justin Herbert critique because they won the game. And and ultimately, uh, I think Mario Cristobal, um, I mean, that's a big monkey off his back. We, we had a lot of, he had a lot of doubters going on the road playing against Chris Peterson and, uh, you know, good on him for going and getting it done. Yeah, there, there was the one throw. I think it was Brian Addison. He had Brian Addison running a, a, a skinny post and – Addison had beaten his man and all Herbert had to do was lead him with the throw, let him run under it. And it was going to be an easy touchdown. And he threw it behind him by like three or four yards and made him pretty much slow down and reach back. And it allowed the Washington DB to get in there and break up the pass. And I was like, man, that was, that was, even they were, I think they were still trailing at that point. So that was one of those moments where I was like, Oh man, they are going to regret that. Not, not hitting that. But yeah, no, it wasn't a perfect game, but I think that, you know, Overall, I think Jacob Eason is good, but I also think Jacob Eason needs to maybe ease up on that little pirouette to his left out of the pocket move that he does fifty times a game. <laughs> oh, he has a bad he has a bad like um, you know, Madden like backpedal out of pressure <laughs> yes. like instincts. Yes. Like he, he that that's he's gotta get that squared away. He will get killed by somebody at some point if he keeps that up. The Pac-12's really been trying to limit the hits on the players. You know, they're always got the student athlete in mind, so they've all been playing NCAA uh, 14 over and over again to uh, to simulate the offense, and that's where Jacob Eason, during his redshirt year, developed those bad habits. Right? Um, I will say so. I is something wrong with Washington? Like they're. This game felt one. Tom, you mentioned it earlier. 28-14. It's gray. It's wet. Husky Stadium is loud. Like This game was really rolling exactly the way that I kind of thought it would in terms of uh, playing out for a Washington win. And not that Washington necessarily you know, is a better team than Oregon, but where, where do y'all think the is that the or is that the Oregon defense? Uh, truly being one of the, the really great defenses in the country this year that's able to lock it down in the second half? Or, and this is something that I know Barton's mentioned and we've talked about a little bit, or is this, again, just a, a Washington offense that since since the loss of Jonathan Smith uh, has still been trying to, to find itself along the way? I... I I feel like Oregon pretty much did a good job of clamping down on Salvin Ahmed. I thought he had a very good first half. Like he had a couple chunk plays in the first half. And I don't think he had any after halftime. I think from the third quarter to the fourth quarter on, they pretty much just penned him in. And if you look at his total numbers, he finished with like 140 yards. And I don't have him in front of me, but I feel like at least 100 of those yards came in the first half. And then he didn't really do much of anything in the second half. And I think that just kind of derailed the Washington offense. 
Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I mean, I, I think, um, I think the Washington offense is still. I, ironically, I, I, I enjoy watching Washington on offense more this year than I have. I feel like either the last two. Well, that's just because it, it's Jacob Eason and he throws a prettier ball than Jake Browning. Well, Salvin Ahmed's pretty fun to watch when he gets loose too. True. Um, but yeah, that is a big part of it, and I do. Th- and so I, I part like I still feel like. Um, I'm not getting enough out of the receivers. Like you still get drops, you still get, you know, Pukunuku is a true freshman receiver, and he's going to be a good one, I think. But you know, he gets kind of bullied on that last uh, fourth down, and mm-hmm. that pro- probably should have been pass interference, but he probably should have been strong enough to fight through it. Like it's just there's too many of those plays where it's just go make a play. Receivers got to go make a play, and so I don't know if that's that's I don't know if that's a something that evolves in one year maybe that's just something we got to wait for for next year so there's a ceiling on this offense but uh it's still more appealing to the eye than what we're used to seeing from washington i feel like you know i know washington fans won't want to hear it but i will say even as somebody who was on washington plus three with chip is a lock agreement when they didn't call the pass interference on that play to puka nakua at the end i was actually pretty happy i like seeing refs allowing for you know it wasn't a mauling he was there a little early there's a little contact Key moment like that, let the players decide the damn game. Don't throw a flag and give you know Washington a free first down because of it. So that that actually made me happy. Uh, Utah's defense dominates Arizona State. Anything uh, anything popping on the notebook from that one? I had said on the podcast this week, and I said on HQ, I said that Jaden Daniels was the best quarterback in this game. Jaden Daniels was not the best quarterback in this game. Not today. Tyler Huntley, I think he suffered an ankle injury. He gutted through. He was 12 and 19, 171 yards, no touchdowns and interception, but he was very much not at 100%. And he was still very much better than Jaden Daniels throwing the football. Jaden Daniels, four of 18 for 25 yards and an interception. But don't worry, he made up for it on the ground by rushing for eight yards on 16 carries. <laughs> yeah, Pac 12 network game. Your boy didn't see it. Oh, man. Okay. Let me. Uh, th- so there were there were conditions to this game. I think we need to mention too. It was it was rainy. It was windy. It was just nasty. And Utah got down to its third quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nah, Utah just and it was. A, we are only just going to run it with Zach Moss. We are only just going to rely on our defense in this spot right now. And I. It was from Arizona State. What I would consider as being the wall. And uh, they went up in that game and they were like, Oh, I don't want to be here. This stinks. It sucks. I want to be back in my dorm room. You know, you're definitely checking the phone at halftime, just trying to figure out what time you're going to be home. Like it's, it, it was the most uncomfortable position for an Arizona state, 18, 19, 20 year old football player to be in playing in front of the muss in bad conditions in Salt Lake City. It was exactly what Kyle Whittingham wanted for this game. Yes. There was a lot of there was a lot of those uh this weekend. A lot of nasty weather games where you had to you had to one team wanted to be there and one team didn't. Uh but uh made for some interesting uh interesting strategy. So uh, are you are you going to uh, allow Nestor 
to excuse uh, George's performance when it was zero zero at halftime? Um, allow who? Isn't it Nestor? Isn't that the way we were pronouncing the remnants of this tropical storm? Because that's what. Oh, is that what this was? Yes. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a name to this. Yes. No, I mean, it pounded the panhandle, and it's come up basically through – came up through the panhandle. It was sitting right there in Athens. It was kind of in Columbia. Like, remnants of it have been sort of crashing through Raleigh as it moves, uh, I guess, northeast uh, through the southeastern part of the country. No, I I don't even – if we're going to talk – the the rains and the storms and Tom's storm got to go in here. <laughs> well, Tom does, but but like I don't, I we don't start with Georgia, Kentucky. The most, the the like the most amazing puzzling storm reaction to this was that how Kyle Trask's hands must have shrunk like <laughs> ten inches. <laughs> like it was as if he couldn't like like grip the like it, it was like my little seven-year-old nephew trying to throw a full-size football just like lobbing it up like i've never seen anything like it he he every throw and at least in the first half second half got a little better but every throw was this bizarre just moonshot and fortunately for florida they survived it so good you know good to know let's check the weather reports for florida games moving forward like if it's raining like play the under i guess because kyle trask cannot throw a wet football there, that's that's just a little something I had to get off my chest. Yeah, but Florida can suddenly run the ball in the raid, so that's even more confusing. Hey, it's another game of Flor- Florida just finding a way. I like this team. Do you think this team will win the East? Uh, yes, I do. I kind of do right now. They got better. They got better mojo right now. Sure. Yeah, Tom. Do. do you think I'm, results inconclusive? Mm. I definitely think they're. I, as we talked about last, I mean, I think I think they're far more capable of doing it than I did at this time two weeks ago. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I come out of the, uh, I come out of that Georgia Kentucky game acknowledging the downpour, but also just, just, just kind of thinking that. Kentucky is a uh, deli turkey and single wrapped American cheese sandwich, you know? <laughs> and I feel like Florida's at least a little something exotic, at least a little something that might have some spices or flavors that, that I'm not really expecting, but that, that please me in the end of it. And can, can I please just read the passing stats from this game? Sure. All right. <clears throat> Jake Fromm. Nine of twelve for thirty-five yards. So that Lynn, is less than three yards an attempt. Yes. Okay. Lynn Bowden, who is really a wide receiver playing quarterback for Kentucky. Two for fifteen oh. for seventeen yards. Lynn, I put you at all purpose on my mid America team, mid all mid season all America team. I, I I'm not upset with you. I I know that you're in a precarious position, but buddy. Two for 15 for 17 yards. We got to be better than that next week, kid. It was a rough game. It was. It not, was. It was like not. I said, Jake Fromm, who is an NFL QB, 9 of 12 for 35 yards. That needs. That's pretty much all you need to know about the weather conditions this game was being played in. Okay, so I, I, one thing about Georgia I think is interesting is before the season, I can't remember how much we talked about this, Chip, but the 
the only real Achilles heel that people brought up in terms of personnel was wide receiver. Mm. And at least at some point, I, I, I've, I brushed that off and I dismissed that and said, look, these dudes are talented. Yeah, they're not experienced. They don't have a bunch of catches. But this like wide receiver is going to be the reason that Georgia didn't win a football game. And here we are, and when you got to beat the teams that Georgia's got to beat to win a national championship, nah, I don't know. Maybe the wide receivers are a reason that they got that they're not going to win a national championship. Those guys, I mean, we last week they literally like you know Tyler Simmons, a ball goes right through his arm, his hands in overtime, and and uh, South Carolina picks it off to win the game. Um, you know the they're not really getting open. There's not, and I don't know, and and but I, but the. The thing that I would that I was pointing to before the season was not the wide receivers. It was the if Georgia fails or if Georgia doesn't win a national championship, go to the playoffs, whatever. My concern was the the coordinators, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. You know, brand new guys, brand new. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were on the staff, but brand new in that role. Um, and that is as as we sit here today, like if if we're looking at Georgia's offense, to your point on the the cheese sandwich wrapped up in you know tinfoil or whatever, it's like what what does, is Georgia doing other than being really big and powerful that is give that is tough for teams to deal with right now on defense. So they a hundred percent agree with you because the word with the wide receivers is separation. I just don't see. These wide receivers get in separation, and when they have throws that are made, they are often back shoulder throws, and when you've got a guy like George Pinkins, guess what? He's bigger. He's stronger. He can just go up and make catches over short cornerbacks, and when they've got those advantages, those are the only times that I see Georgia seem to have any kind of consistent success, and so absolutely the wide receiver position is a concern. Like those, And the thing is, we know that those dudes are – as you mentioned, you know, there is like some like it's back to the Shea Patterson thing. There is raw talent. There is size. There are, there are measurables that suggest that they should be able to have advantages that are not being exploited through the passing game. That's I don't know if that's coaching or performance, but that is one place where I believe Georgia is being let down if we are grading them as a championship contender because without that counterpunch on its offense, they are going to fall short against the best teams in the country. You want to know what Georgia's offense is doing to you know that other teams can't prepare for? What? As we just told you today, they perfected the three yards in a cloud of dust passing attack. <laughs> yeah. Just, Nobody's ready for it. Yeah. No, no one has has seen that before in college football. <laughs> Quarters are dropping back, all confused. All these throws are only getting a yard. Like, what are we supposed to do? But uh, they, it's 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 that or it's that. I mean, you're right, Chip. Like, there's a lot of. Like just go back to Notre Dame. Like the only like how they moved the ball and how they really got it going was the back shoulder fades to Lawrence Cager, and and Cager's been banged up recently, which is hurt. Right. Yeah. So that's that slowed it down a little bit. But ultimately, I just think like if you got to be, you have to be finding ways to get your guys in space, basically. And I don't even it, you can do you can be a pro style offense. But ultimately, it's still about trying to find ways to get your guys in space, get them open, um, find matchups, and it just feel, it doesn't feel like Georgia is 
is manufacturing that in the same way that some other teams are that they're going to have to beat. Yeah, a quick topic change, just just an update. I think we're on the way to losing another undefeated team right now as BYU is up 28-18 on Boise State with eight and a half minutes left. Boise State can come back in this. They can, but BYU's got the ball at midfield, so. <sighs> this is a, that's a very BYU thing to do here, mm-hmm. is to win this game. Yeah, I think Boise's going to lose. I think we're about to lose another undefeated team here on the unofficial weekend of the underdog. Oh, Oh, I guess we can't. We, no, we can't do that. We anymore. can't do it. We howled about Washington all week. Um, so uh, does that mean that? Uh, so Boise probably falls out with a loss, right, of the rankings? No, I think they'll hang in the twenty to twenty-five range. Yeah, I think so. I was having trouble. I even left Arizona State in there, just because uh, Temple and Tulane were like the next up from last week's balloting so that means they were they were at least getting top 25 love on a certain amount of ballots so like even wake forest is going to work its way back in after beating florida state yeah boise will probably hang on yeah oh no man Tulane got spanked today we do have some uh some weekend of the of the underdog games we gotta we gotta give a little love to where where do you want to go my man vanderbilt (laughs) I mean, yeah, we go to Vanderbilt. <laughs> Where else do you want to go? I mean, the Ramblin' Wreck, oh. Georgia Tech. Is that really? I I understand they were an underdog of eighteen points, but is that really that big of a surprise? Oh come on, you know it wasn't that big of a surprise. But let's go. I mean, they got a win on the road. That's big. They're what eighteen point dogs. Um, I mean the Vandy deals. The Vandy deals, wild. That yes. they go and beat Missouri uh, after. And did you guys see what what UNLV? So UNLV beats Vanderbilt last week, thirty-four to ten. Vandy scores ten points on that UNLV team. And did you see what UNLV get, gave up this week uh, to Fresno State? Yeah, that game. Fifty-three. Yeah, that snowballed quick. That was like a that was a close game through three quarters and then Fresno scored like I think 20 something 27 points in the fourth quarter <laughs> yeah UNLV to a group of five opponents has given up uh not, not even a group of us just everybody like <laughs> anybody they, who comes across they, them. <laughs> they held FCS Southern Utah to 23 okay but other than that Arkansas State hit them for 43 Northwestern hit them for 30 Wyoming 53 Boise 38 Vandy 10 and then Fresno goes 56 on them and then Vandy turns around and beats Missouri who is like positioning themselves to contend I know they weren't going to get any postseason action because the because of probation but they were all of a sudden like looking like a dark horse SEC East favorite um and then they go and lose to Vandy. Here, here's Mizzou's season. I mean, they stay open this season, losing to Wyoming 37 to 31. Then they have to dig their way out of that hole. They crush West Virginia. They crush Southeast Missouri. They crush South Carolina. They crush Troy. They beat Ole Miss to get ranked and then lose to a Vanderbilt team that lost to UNLV by 24 the week before. <laughs> and 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 D Mace was lit after the <laughs> he game. Was happy. Oh boy, was fired up. Do you do either of you know what he said at the end of that? I hey. all I heard was something Commodores. Blah, 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 blah. No, it was anchoring D 
down. Yeah, like, it's that ain't, one was. Yeah. I had no idea what the hell. I thought he was like the South Park. They took her down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. D Mace, D Mace gets gets fired up when he gets a big win. He needed it, man. He did need it. All right. Let's see. Do you want to get some some Derek Mason out here? Let's hear it. Okay. So he was uh, he was jacked up. He was talking on that SEC network. He had the D-Mace vest on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It was, that was Listen, that was another place that was uh, the, the condition. It was just gray and wet everywhere. Mm-hmm. And this team comes out and upsets a ranked Missouri team. What are you feeling right now? Well, first of all, you know, honor to God. You know, it's been a, it's been a rough patch. Man, but I told my team this, and I want everybody to understand this, okay? A lot of people want this job, so they think, but I'm the man that's built for this job. Woo! Every day, man, we grind. We grind. Don't question us. Don't question who we are, what we do, or how we play. We're Vanderbilt men. Commodores anchoring down. Commodores anchoring down. I'm ready to stop somebody on fourth and short. (laughs) Yeah. Don't question who we are. Commodore's anchoring down. He says a bunch of people want this job. <laughs> I'm not sure a bunch of people want it. <laughs> a bunch of people want somebody else to have it. Um, where, where, what else do you want to dig into? Uh, we're back. Chef, you need to get back on the Faith Charlie Strong bandwagon, and I'm going to be right there with you. Oh, yeah. Mother Ham was right. Yeah, <laughs> Other hand was right. <sighs> Do we want to talk about Minnesota? We 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 mentioned them earlier. You said they weren't headliners. You pushed them all the way to the back. Is this far enough back to talk about the Golden Gophers? I mean, do we have to take them seriously now? They've held uh, <laughs> pretty much every opponent except for one, like under two touchdowns. Oh, you sounded so like petulant. Do we have to take them seriously? <laughs> it's yeah, I'll, we have to take them seriously for at least another three weeks because they're probably going to beat Maryland next week, and they're going to be eight and zero, five and zero in the West. And like I said, Wisconsin will probably be three and two, so they're going to have at least a two game lead on everybody. But then, I mean, Minnesota's season doesn't start till November at this point. They get Penn State at home, Iowa on the road. That Northwestern road game looks more eminently winnable by the day. And then they finish with a game against Wisconsin, which has a very decent chance that that game is going to decide the Big Ten West. Georgia Southern, Purdue, Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland. There is like no better way uh, to draw that. If you were playing Keno and those were your numbers, they're bound to hit. Like that is ridiculous. Here's the thing. I mean, there's no question that the schedule hasn't exactly been a murderer's row. But after this was a team that, you know, it barely got by South Dakota State. It barely got by Fresno. It barely got by Georgia Southern. Then it beat Purdue. You know, that was kind of probably closer than it should have been considering all the injuries Purdue is dealing with. But we've seen Purdue in recent weeks not look bad at all. They beat up on Maryland last week. They hung tight with Iowa this week. So now that win doesn't look nearly as, you know, loose as it did a few weeks ago and while illinois nebraska and rutgers aren't good they have crushed the three of them and how many times have i said that i I worry less about who you've beaten and how you've beaten them and this is a minnesota team that the last three weeks 
is rolling. And it doesn't mean I think that they're going to win the division or they're going to beat Penn State or Iowa or Wisconsin, but I'm, I'm not going to take it away from them. They, they have played very yes. well the last three weeks, and they deserve to be feeling good about themselves heading into next week's game against Maryland. Are you guys done talking about uh, Minnesota's forty-two to seven win over Rutgers? Yeah, there's nothing to go into. Because, because if you are, I've got some important, uh, uh, some some important stuff to, to talk about here. All right. How about how about a six overtime Virginia Tech win over North Carolina, in which we saw four consecutive game-winning miss kicks? <laughs> Maybe you saw them. I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, yo, you had the Pac-12 network, but I I had the ACC network. Yeah. So no, no, bro, I, we had Fox Sports South, the regional <laughs> sports network coverage. Is that is that what it was on? Yeah, ACC yeah. network extra. Oh, sick. Well, that was worth it. That was great. That was fun. It was that fun. Was, so you know, my one of my biggest takeaways from the day today is who who in the hell is is a kicker by choice. Like who partakes in that journey of kickerdom? Like I, when when the Wisconsin kicker was about to go out to, to kick that game winner, like I my stomach was in knots. Like I felt for that dude. And then these these uh, North Carolina Virginia Tech and like and a kicker lives this very isolated life in general on a football team. You know they're just out there kicking by themselves all practice where everyone else is working in their team position groups. They're 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 kind of quirky weird people in general. And then they have to go out there and like when that North Carolina guy missed the field goal that, that should have won it, man, that sucks. And then he's got to go back out again and try. Like it's just a mind f. And I, I the whole day I was just like, golly, man, that who's like who are these people that decide to kick? Um, so that was that was a, and we got to see a a a, a two point conversion off for the win. Yes, I mean that was. That was all kinds of fun. Were you? Well, did, did you uh, like the new rules put in place? That was the first time that I'd seen it. Uh, yeah, it's first time I seen it too. I kind of liked it. Yeah. It's a little. It's a little. Uh, it's a little penalty kickish. Well, I I didn't get to see the game, but on the subject of kickers, James McCourt, the Illinois kicker, I and then Dicker, Michael Dicker, the kicker for Texas, who saved the Longhorns from another embarrassing loss to Kansas. I feel like there's a market inefficiency in college. Granted, there's not tons of them available, but I don't know why more programs, in talking to you, Alabama, do not put a focus on finding a good kicker or at least developing good kickers with good special teams coaches. Because, man, in this sport, it is such a luxury to have a kicker you can count on. Because when Illinois got that interception late against Wisconsin, when it was down 23-21, it knows it has a kicker who has drilled 55 yarders in the past. It has a good kicker, so they didn't have to press. They were able to take their time, realize we just got to get a field goal out of this. We trust our kicker. We can do it. Texas has Dicker, a guy who can drill 50-yard field goals. He's done it in the past. He's drilled game winners. They knew, okay, we're down by one to Kansas. We don't have to panic. We just need to get into field goal position because we got a guy who can make it. Think of how many teams don't have that luxury and think of how many college football games come down to that at the end. So it's like, I don't know who wants to be a kicker, but I don't know why teams don't put more focus on developing them at the same time. No, well, here's the deal is that all these these special teams coordinators – who are these kind of crusty old special teams coordinators that usually have been doing it their whole life, 
like for some reason there's almost never do you see a special teams coordinator that is also a mechanics coach like they're typically just the guy that gets up there and draws up kickoff return you know here here's here's our here's our punt protection and and ne- never are these guys actual like kick doctors which it would make sense to me for a former punter or kicker to get into the special teams coordinator racket. But for some reason, like they don't, they're all like this part of the pod. I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to do like, I'm going to be like the QB gurus. I'm going to become the kicker guru. And I am just going to like buy a warehouse and train kickers to drill like 60 yard kicks. And I'm going to send them to the NFL, to college and just take a small cut, you know, a little taste. I mean, clearly these jobs are being lost overseas to Australia. But that's the thing. Australia has like the industrial punter complex. <laughs> right. America needs to get its industrial kicker complex going, dude. We we need to do this for the sake of college football, for the sake of NFL football. We need to do it. I think you're Someone right, needs, Barton. All the, all, needs it. All, all how, the, how, is, how is Saban not hired an analyst who is a kick doctor who could be a special teams coordinator? Can't find like some former coach who's out of work. Could be like, hey, teach my kicker how to kick. Did Alabama miss more field goals tonight? I I gotta yeah. tell you, I didn't watch much of that game. I don't know if they did. I'm just, but I, th- I think historically, it's just something. You know what? I have not looked. I'm going to look now. I will bet you Alabama did miss a field goal tonight. Let's look it up. Okay, they missed at least one. They they definitely missed at least one. Bang! Look at that. <laughs> they missed missed one. Oh for one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and they found some walk-on punter that was like out there, like laying the lumber on on the after punting. Uh, but I, I did. So I, we're probably winding down here. It's like two a.m. in Chip's world. Uh, but we haven't really touched it's that 1:30. much. It's one thirty. We we're good. Oh, we're at one. Right. We're at one fifteen on the recording. Oh, okay. so. Right, so we're not. We're not going too. We're not. It's not too bad yet. Um, what do y'all? What, what do y'all think about this Texas Kansas stuff? Are we are we revoking back status? I think I didn't get to see any. This game was on Longhorn Network. I didn't get to watch it. From what I saw following on Twitter, most of the talk was about Kansas's offense. And what's the name of the offensive coordinator they they just hired? Oh yeah, this dude who was at like uh, Lambeth or something. Mm-hmm. Where was he at? Or yeah, some like Division like, three team where he was scoring like fifty five points a game. And I, I feel like the the discussion I saw of this game kind of centered around, hey, this offense ain't too bad. You know what I mean? It's like people were impressed by what Kansas is doing. And, I mean, just looking at the box score, they averaged 6.6 yards per play. Puka Williams rushed for 190 yards and two touchdowns. Carter Stanley threw four touchdowns. They were, you know, they just seemed pretty potent. So maybe Texas, I think that could part, play part of it too because when you're playing a team with a new coordinator who you've never seen before, it's kind of hard to know what to prep for. And, and I guess Texas maybe got kind of caught off guard. Well, yeah, and you mentioned it, Barton, earlier. Like, this this defense is banged up. They're missing bodies. They're playing a week after the Oklahoma game. I, I, I thought that by not losing, you avoided it being a really, really bad day. I thought it was probably a bad day, but not one that changes my overall outlook on Texas as a program or even the 2019 Longhorns. This dude, uh, Brent Deerman, the, the Kansas OC, 
They fired Les Kinning midseason, uh, promoted this dude who was previously just an offensive consultant, promoted him to offensive coordinator from a, just a non-position coach role. Prior to this year, he had spent one year at Bethel College. Prior to that, he spent four years at Arkansas Tech. And and then he, he was a couple years, I assume, as a GA of some sort at Auburn. Uh, before that, high school, a couple Alabama high schools, and then a year at Bethel College. Uh, it's kind of that's pretty that's pretty wild if this guy is is legit. Pretty sure Arkansas Tech was like the name of a school on the old Bill Walsh college football Sega Genesis game. Yeah, I was gonna say, do they play eight man there? <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. Are you are you revoking backness because I that this kind of performance has? I'm revoking. Me- if they had lost, I would have I would have asked for my back card back. It because that turn, can- turn in your turn in your back card if you lose to Kansas. They lost four games last year, like that. Texas if, Texas lost four games last year. That's that is not a uh, it won it won a ten and two or an eleven and yeah. But you can I think you can be back if one of those if one of your wins was against Oklahoma. You played in the Big Twelve championship game. You you beat Georgia and what was that the orange what was Sugar that? Bowl what was that Sugar Bowl Sugar Bowl. Um, yeah, but now everybody's beating Georgia. It doesn't matter anymore. That's true. <laughs> but that's a lot of back. That's a lot of back to 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 digest there. But I but think we go, still had an Oklahoma State loss. I think we still had uh, maybe an Iowa State loss in there too. Like there's this this team is capable of losing ah uh, to two non Oklahoma Big Twelve games a year. Listen, if Oklahoma or if Texas had lost to Kansas, it would be back back to losing to Kansas because it just does that sometimes. Not that often. They don't even play that often, as fact checkers corrected us today. They play every year. For the last 19, which compared to some of these rivalries, ain't that much. (laughs) Um, I like that you called it a rivalry. (laughs) A series. How about that one? No, it's a rivalry. Yeah. Um, All right. So any uh, Ohio State? Whooped up on uh, on them Wildcats on Friday night. Yeah, uh, the grass was not too long for the Buckeyes. Man, Northwestern is so not good. You see Pat like, Fitzgerald talking after the game, where he was like, "No, we knew what they were running. They called plays to the boundary. We defended the boundary. Couldn't defend it." Yeah, it's kind of like what Chuck Martin said about Ohio State a few weeks ago before he lost to him by 70, where it's like, where he said, playing against Ohio State is like going out to the recess and the other team gets the first 85 picks. I mean, this, like, it, I do believe there is some significance to the fact that all these coaches that are playing Ohio State, either before or after playing Ohio State, are like, ah, yeah, well, I mean, what'd you guys expect? Seriously. That was, did you see what was out there? Did you see what they did right there? No. Yeah, we weren't going to beat them. And that, sure, what else can they say? What else can they yeah. like that, though? It's like, well, you know, we were just a player two away from it being a completely different game. So my favorite. Is, I, I think, Pat, I think the exact quote from Fitzgerald was, I'm not, I'm not even mad. I'm just yeah. impressed or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think that, uh, I, I think that there is something really fun to Ohio State's dominance. The one wrinkle that is 
I guess, applicable to this year's team and to Ryan Day and this staff in particular. It's just fun that they go on these second quarter spurts because it it suggests that they just want to fill you out, right? Like they just mm-hmm. come into every game like, hey, what you got? Hey, let's let's play a couple rounds. Let's see what let's see what your plays are. Let's see what you're gonna do. And then all of a sudden, they get everything settled. They get a little little bit of data. Then they plug it in their little domination calculator, and then the tractor beam just crushes you. Like it is yeah. awesome. Go, going back to Fitz, it was after the game when they were about to interview Justin Fields on the television broadcast. Fitz came up to him and couldn't hear what he said, but I, just reading his lips, he said "Wow" at least twice while talking to Justin Fields. <laughs> Yeah, sounds about right. Um, this feels deserves a few wows. Yeah, a Boise State might win. Whoa, what's going on here? Twenty-eight, twenty-five. Well, how did I miss this? I've been, I've had this, I've literally had this game on the iPad in front of me the entire time, and I did not see Boise State score eleven points. I saw him kick a field goal. Yes, they got a uh, a, a teeter and a two pointer. I guess I just got lost in the kicker sauce. All right, Barton, you got anything else on your notepad? Um, I mean, did you guys did you guys get any feels for whether we should, you know, take anything from Clemson's win? No. Trevor still Trevor still seems a little rickety. Yeah, I mean they. They started Clemsoning over at Louisville and just kind of blew them away at the end. But yeah, no, I mean that's that's a concern. And I mean, I understand that they're kind of playing at half speed. But as we've talked, I feel like we're talking about the same thing every week when it comes to Clemson. It's like, yeah, I worry that if you're just counting on flipping the switch when you need to flip the switch, if you haven't done it yet, how do you know that you can? And I just think that Tre- Trevor is kind of being a little too loose and taking shots that I think. Last year, he wouldn't have taken in a big game. He wouldn't have taken, and I worry that now he's going to get up against an Alabama or an Ohio State or an Oklahoma in one of these games, and he's going to be like, it's going to be muscle memory. He's going to see something he probably shouldn't throw, and he's just going to throw it, and it's going to kill his team. Dabo said he's trying to he's trying to do too much. He's taking too many chances. He's he it was the these are the two things. Oh, it was great. He said, uh, right now, Trevor is a little bit too confident in his wide receivers, and he's a little bit too confident in his own arm. And I thought that was an accurate diagnosis of Trevor Lawrence's interceptions in 2019. Yeah, maybe one of these games, Clemson should kind of just game plan a lot of short throws. Well, I think, so my theory that I cooked up as I was live blogging it is that all these designed runs for Trevor Lawrence are punishment for his dumbass decisions. (laughs) (laughs) People are like, why are you running Trevor Lawrence at this point in the game? I'm like, well, because running stairs ain't working. He's still throwing these jump balls. (laughs) Like he's even throwing touchdown passes that are dumb throws. Well, that's the thing is like it's how do you how do you scold a kid who gets rewarded like innately for for making these throws? I mean, that that, the ball that uh, was it? Justin Ross that caught the one in the end zone. It's like triple coverage. Uh, right before halftime. It was a yeah, Hail, Ma- like, yeah. Hail Mary. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I saw someone tweet like, yeah, we, you know, Trevor Lawrence is catching some heat this year, but then he'll go out and make a throw like this. Like what? That's a horrible throw. <laughs> yeah, don't make that throw. That's the throw you're not supposed to make. He threw. But, but, uh, but those, guys st- those guys can still catch it. Yeah. He threw a ball to your boy, Joseph Nagata. 
uh, who made an appearance and it was like he threw it 10 feet in the air and behind him because only Joseph Nagata can go catch that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I So my my gleaning from it, I guess to answer your question, Barton, is that I, at least Clemson knows what's going on with Trevor Lawrence and at least seems to have diagnosed it in a way that I think is uh, accurate. And if they're 13-0, and 0, then they'll be in the playoff and they'll have a shot. But they certainly have left a lot of points on the board from their offense having these miscues and turnovers. Yeah, but like at the end of the day, their defense is playing so good that they're still beating teams forty-five to ten. Right. So how do you, how can we really as a be disappointed in the collective of the Clemson football team? We can't, like, but we're just so obsessed with Trevor because I'm glad right. you said that the defense is playing great and getting better. Clemson's offense gets short fields every single possession, and that's why they score a lot. They're not even yes. get they're not even rolling up a ton of points. They just always get the ball at like the 45 yard line. So it makes it easy. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, um, so couple brief, brief notes. Uh, Chip, you really sent Toledo into a tailspin <laughs> by, by picking them. I mean, 52 to 14 ball state beast Toledo. Wow. That was something. Um, there was another. There's another game that kind of caught my attention. Boston College, Wake over and NC Florida State. State, Wake and Florida State, ACC. No, so I, I didn't get to watch much of that game. They they both teams ran like 80 plays, but it was sort of on like my side, like you know my my flip over kind of check what was going on. And every time I've turned over there, it seemed like someone was in the red zone, but they only scored. You know, it was a 22 to 20 final score. So that that must have been a weird game. It was uh it was a bad game like I, I i didn't get to watch enough of it to to give you a full diagnosis but i can say that there were at least enough turnovers and enough uh wasted opportunities that neither team's coming out of there feeling really good about themselves hey wake is wake got a w over the the knolls that's true i guess and i guess you avoid the uh you avo- you avoid that that terrible position that I was saying where you've got back to back primetime home games against Louisville and Florida State and you end up losing them both. At least you come out of here with a split, six and one, looking all right. Uh, NC State no showed on the road at Wake Forest. I think I'm I'm over NC State for a little bit. <laughs> that was a that was a quick that was a quick little weekend you guys had together. <laughs> Just didn't work out. Hey. That's that's the way it goes sometimes. Cherished uh, memories. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would need to like get out of Chapel Hill in college, and so that I would come hang out uh, in Raleigh, my hometown at NC State, and then after one weekend, need to get out of Raleigh and then go back to Chapel Hill. <laughs> <laughs> you can get in just as much trouble in both places. Yeah, uh, yeah. The ACC is still acting really super weird. Virginia crushes Duke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean that that came like really quickly too because yeah. it was like Virginia was always in control of that game, but then it just started snowballing because I was on the under in that thing and I was like that was very much looking like an easy under and then it very much wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 
Matt, the only know. other thing I got is I was impressed with Purdue's fight against Iowa. They, that, that, that thing is literally just like bubblegum, paper clips, duct tape. Like they're, they're holding it together and they're finding ways. David Bell, the true freshman, had like 200 yards receiving um, and as like their Rondell Moore. So, you know, Purdue's, Purdue could be a sneaky team. But they're going to get they're, – they're, don't catch them on the wrong weekend because they probably got a, a – a, Music City Bowl performance in them somewhere along the way where they just get rolled up for 40-plus. Uh, but somewhere along the way, they're going to catch them with slipping, too. Oh, here's one. Army lost again to Georgia State. Yikes. Hey. Yeah. That's, I don't mean Army just – I don't know. That Army-Navy game, I think Army's run might be coming to an end this year based on the way those two teams have looked so far this season. Hmm. Well, what's Georgia State done since they beat Tennessee on the road? They beat Army. <laughs> don't, knock on, don't knock on Georgia State. They lost to Western Michigan and Texas State, and they've beaten Arkansas State, Coastal Carolina, and now yeah, Arkansas. Five and two. Five and two and two and one in the Sun Belt. Not a bad little run there. Uh, Ellington and the boys getting a little, you know. I got, I got one final shout-out if it's okay. Oh, yeah. Shout-out to Aston Villa. Getting the win in the final 10 seconds with the buzzer beater. Aston Villa now in 11th place in the Premier League. You know who they're ahead of in the standings? Um, Manchester United. Aston Villa, better than Man United. And I know Man United hasn't played yet as we record this, but they're playing Liverpool, and they're going to lose that match. So at the end of the weekend, Aston Villa will be ahead of Manchester United in the Premier League standings. They're ahead of Foggy Bum. and uh, Foggy Bum is a League 2 team, Chip. Okay, all right. Are you guys talking football? Yeah, because that was the yeah. thing. It was a Tom Fernelli day. You had Aston Villa win in extra time, and then Illinois walk off game winner, like by four and p.m. Napoli cruised to an easy win, so all Tom teams won on Saturday. Wow. I don't know. I don't know what any of these words are. <laughs> Aston Villa is an English soccer team. Napoli is an Italian soccer team, and Illinois is a college located in the Midwest. Yo, I want to see Kalani Sataki and Derek Mason party fight? together. No, oh, no, no. <laughs> Celebrate. I want them but on the you same You kind of want to see them fight, though, too, right? Yeah, I mean, that'd be good, too. <laughs> but Kalani Sataki, he's got, some, he's got some good celebration moves as well. I, I appreciate his enthusiasm. Is BYU about to win this? It appears so, based on the celebrating that Kalani Sataki is getting into right now. But I think they still got to... They, they still got to Maybe get a first down here. That was, we um, might we might see SMU in like the Fiesta Bowl or the Cotton. No, no, S, S, no SMU's got a, a tough run coming up. SMU, let me pull up the schedule. This was like the fake tough game, but the real tough games are coming because they got to go on the road to uh, Houston, maybe not so bad, at Memphis. They got at Navy. They got Tulane. I was going to say, Houston, Houston messed around and nearly lost to UConn today. I ain't worried about Houston. Yeah, they, did you see the um, – now we're just rambling. But the, one of their players that the quit the team like had a tweet thread. Y'all yes. see this tweet thread where he yes. like, uh, confirmed that they were, they were tanking. Houston yes. was tanking. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, trust the process. Right. <laughs> Trust the process. <laughs> uh, listen, they need to get a first round pick or, you know, top pick in the draft. Exactly. 
I, I totally get it. Uh, we need to draft a new Ed Oliver. Uh, keep the mailbag questions coming. Five-star review. Add a question in there. We will answer it on a listener mailbag. We will be back on Monday with a listener mailbag episode. You can also reach us on Twitter. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Up the villa. Zero. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy.